Hi, this is Jared Free, and I want to say thank you for allowing me to uh, come into your home today to share something that has been on my heart, uh, something that many of you have heard me speak of uh, a, a while back, and that is the Holy Ground Experience. Uh, the Holy Ground Experience, as you know, probably comes from the term of Moses when he was at the, the burning bush and, and God said, take your sandals off for you are now standing on holy ground. I believe in this day and age that God wants to do something huge with his people. So we're going to get into this and um, I urge you to verify the information that I give, verify, you know, go in the word of God and, and start digging into it a little deeper after this podcast. I do apologize because this is going to be a little bit longer podcast uh, than usual, but it is very, very informative and there's a very lot of, a lot of things that God wants people to know. So we're going to go ahead and start this off, um, you know, back in February 25th, 2017, uh, I was looking at Facebook, and uh, this is how the Holy Ground Experience message actually came to me. This is how God really revealed it to me. And, um, you know, he said, I was looking at Facebook, and I, I saw an admiral in the Navy. And there was a caption on there that said, troops should be able to share the Bible anyway, anywhere. Uh, what, what that caption meant was, in the military, uh, there are times where people aren't allowed to share the gospel unless they're on the battlefield, and, and they're... Uh, either get shot or something happens and the chaplain needs to talk to them then and there. But uh, what this admiral was really saying was it shouldn't matter where or when uh, the time comes. Anybody should be able to share the gospel anytime they want, share the Bible and, and speak about the Bible anytime they want in the military. Uh, it was then when I saw that caption, I felt that the Lord say that this is a time period. And keep in mind, this February 25th, 2017, this is actually... Uh, Donald Trump just got into office, so this is this is really significant. Of what the Lord said, He said, um, said that this is the time period where people will have the freedom to share the gospel. For there is a time soon coming that the freedom to spread my word will no longer be there. The leaders are making it possible through my will for the freedom to share my word for a time longer. And I heard this, and it really grasped my attention. And keep in mind, this was back in February 25th, 2017. So, you know, today is February 11th, 2019, two years later. And you see all the stuff going on today. We're not going to talk about everything going on today. Uh, but you see all the garbage, all the junk, all the corruption, all the lawlessness, all the signs that God has given. Uh, and Jesus has mentioned in his word about the last days. Uh, we could talk about that later. But right now, we, we need to find a way to get through this time period that we're going through um, for this freedom that God has given us to share his word. And while he was sharing this word to me, talking about the leaders making it possible uh, through his will, he also said, I, and this is God that, that was actually backtracking on, on scripture for me. He says, I've said, I will pour my spirit out upon my people in the last days, and it will be poured out. Uh, this was a reference from God that to me, that he said that he was going to pour it out. You know, we know his word, we read his word, but it's one thing to read his word, and it's another thing for God to reveal something to you and then say, I'm going to reference Joel 2.28, 
which is the verse that he referenced with me. Then after doing all those things, I will pour my spirit out upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour my spirit out even on servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. That was Joel 2.28. But let's look at Acts 2.17, uh, which was actually when you know, the Holy Spirit came in, and you know, like a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and he got in there, the Holy Spirit moved, tongues of fires upon their head. And this is when the Holy Spirit was moving and everybody was outside, was hearing uh, the tongues and, and hearing the languages of their nations. And they were, they were thinking that these people were drunk. And this is the first message preached of the gospel. And this is the first time where a big multitude of crowds became saved from the gospel of Christ. Acts 2.17, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. He said, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And, you know, of course, that scripture says in the last days, God said, I will pour my spirit out. Um, and he repeats Joel 2.28. So, you know, late, later on, I'm, I'm still thinking about what God is doing, what God said to me. And, you know, I, I go up in the bathroom, I'm getting ready for the day. And uh, I was I was kind of focused on Moses. I started feeling the presence of the Lord. And uh, I started thinking about holy ground. So I'm feeling God's presence as I was listening to, to some music. And I asked God, I said, you know, while we're in your presence, Lord... Are we not on holy ground before you? And I was having a conversation with God, and I said, God, are we not on holy ground? Do, do we not feel the holy ground presence that Moses felt? And his response was very interesting to me. And a matter of fact, it got me so excited that I ran out of, of you know, the bathroom, and I was just screaming everywhere the response that God gave me. And the, the response he gave me, was five words, and it was, you haven't seen anything yet. And I was so amazed and, and felt at peace and felt great about what God was saying. And I was yelling around the house, you ain't seen nothing yet, to my kids, to my wife. I, you know, I, I literally said, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, God just said, you ain't seen nothing yet. And they, I'm pretty sure they probably thought I was a crazy madman when I was walking around, but... Um, you know, I just want to emphasize how excited I was about what God said. And he started speaking to me about some stuff. And we're going to reference Exodus chapter 3. Uh, what better place to talk about the Holy Ground experience? What better place to start the Holy Ground experience than Exodus 3? You know, and I'll, I'll give you the reference of, of three things that God laid on my heart after I'm done with the Holy Ground experience uh, today. So... Exodus chapter 3, the things that you do for the Holy Ground experience. These are things to do 
for the holy ground experience. Number one, notice God and what he is doing. Notice God and what he is doing. When you read Exodus 3, in verse 2 and 3, you notice that Moses, when the bush was, was flaming up, Moses turned to that bush and he noticed what was going on with that bush. He noticed it, it caught his attention, and he was intrigued about what is happening. And he even looked at that bush and, and said, I'm going to figure this out. So you notice what God and what he is doing. That is your first step for the Holy Ground experience. You have to notice God and what he is doing. You have to notice God, what he's doing around you, and you have to notice God and what he is doing with you. You have to allow him to do things for you and allow him to change things for you. Number two, listen to the voice of God and answer the call. Many of us go around having the voice of God, but are we really answering the call? You know, Moses was called by God. And Moses replied, here I am. Now keep in mind, Moses replied, here am I. Not here I am. He says, here am I. Moses replied, here am I. And it's amazing what God does next. He says, and God replies to him when Moses is, is speaking and, and saying, who are you? He knew he was, but God replies this. God says, I am. One thing we have to remember that, that God, everybody has a responsibility for ministry. Everybody does. And when I say that, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, going out into the world, every, every Christian has, has a ministry. Every Christian has a responsibility to minister to people. And I just want to tell you that if God calls you, it is not a mistake. If God calls you, it is no mistake. So if you feel the voice of God and you feel like, hey, man, you know, and it's biblical and, and you really want to do something for God and, and you feel his voice or you hear his voice and it says, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. And it's biblical and it goes according to the word of God. Then it's probably God trying to catch your attention. So you need to notice God and what he is doing and listen to his voice and answer the call. While you're doing that, we're going to go to number three. And this is what a lot of people have done. And I'm going to tell you, I've done this before too. Number three, make no excuses. A lot of us go out and make excuses. When we do this, we're telling God, you don't know what you're talking about. We're telling God that, Lord, I don't think I can do this. You notice that when Moses was getting called, he was making so many excuses. So many excuses. And in chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses didn't think he was worthy of such a task to free a whole nation. He made excuses, not only... Um, Lord, I don't know if I could do this, but he started making excuses like his speech and God didn't sit here and listen to that. God was like, you know what? You're going to give me excuses, but I'm going to make a way for you to do this. 
How many of us have wanted to know if God was going to make a way for do something for us to do something? How many of us have ever been concerned if God was going to make a way? Well, we need to look back at making no excuses, chapter 4, verse 1, because when Moses made the mistake, and it was a mistake of making an excuse of not doing the big task that God had set for him, God did something that Moses didn't expect. He sent him Aaron. Aaron to speak. So when Aaron came, Moses got confidence. And Moses finally, finally Moses, I think Moses really got to the point where all the excuses were, were old. And he said, well, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and do that. I'll go ahead and do what you want me to do, God. I'll just go ahead and do it. Number four, you know, if we look in Exodus 3, 19 through 22, after making no excuses, we need to believe. Believe that God can work in your life. Believe that God can do what he says he's going to do. If he's going to tell you he's going to deliver you, he's going to deliver you. If he tells you that he's going to do something, his promises are true. If in his word you're looking at it and you're wondering if he's going to sit there and do what he says he's going to do, he's going to do it. Regardless, you have to make sure. Now, yes, sometimes being obedient comes into play with what God's going to do for our lives. But we have to believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Throughout the whole Bible, we see God delivering people. We see God delivering people. And after, you know, everything, after, after what we talked about, you notice God and what he was doing, you answer the call, you sit here and make no excuses, and you believe. You're going to start finding that God's going to do some big things in your life, in people's life around you, and the things that you thought were never possible are going to be possible. After all of these, God made it to where signs and wonders happened in Egypt. Later, the miracle of deliverance from bondage. Now, when we look back at the Israelites and we see all the bondage that they were in, and God delivered them time and time and time again, we have to understand something. That if we are in addiction, if we have a bondage to an addiction, or we have, we're in bondage to things, to slavery, to the flesh, if we have addictions of drugs, alcohol, smoking, uh, you got addictions to things that are hurting your body, understand that God wants to deliver you from that, but it's you that makes the choice to be delivered. Now, sometimes people go around and they get delivered. And then something happens and they go back to where they were. Now, let me ask you a question because sometimes then they get their life right and they're like, man, God, deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And God's not doing anything about it. Or you feel that God is not doing anything about it. Here's the thing. When Moses went up and God did the Ten Commandments and he chiseled those Ten Commandments with his finger, and he sat here and he gave Moses the tablets. He, he, even, he crafted them perfectly. And Moses went down when the Israelites were laying claim to idols and they were worshiping idols. And Moses got angry and threw those tablets and they broke. Who was the one that replaced the tablets? It wasn't God. It was Moses. 
God didn't redo the tablets because God already did the tablets. When you think about things that we have addiction to and we go back to it, we wonder why God is not helping us out. It's because God wants us to put our part in. If he delivered us one time, yes, he's gracious and he's merciful. And he, you know, he wants to deliver you time and time again. But you know, when it came to the tablets and Moa or Moses, Moses had to redo the tablets by hand. It's the same thing with bondage and deliverance. If God delivers you from something, he'll never leave you. And you go back to what you were doing, and it takes you into bondage again. There's a possibility where God is going to sit there and say, I delivered you one time. It's, you need to start working at your own deliverance, but I will be there the whole step of the way to help you. To help you. But I, God is not going to do it if your heart is not set on it. And going back to that addiction, your heart may not be set on it. So something to, to remember that God will deliver you. And God, God has fulfilled all of his promises. And God will keep his promises to you. If you go back to an addiction, keep praying, keep getting into it, keep asking God to help you. God's not going to leave you alone. Just because you went back to that deliverance and I said that uh, he won't help you, He'll help you in ways that you wouldn't dream. But if you're delivered and you go back to that by choice, do you expect God really to, to take that away from you again? You're going to have to put a little work in before God is going to help you get to the end. So that's just something that we have to remember about deliverance. Deliverance. If we keep going back to that place, to addiction, we need to understand that if we're asking where God is at, we need to remember that he already delivered us. We just have to take our steps back to where we were. So later the miracles, and that, that's where the miracles of deliverance and bondage, uh, the reason why I said that, because after you believe God, God made it to where the signs and wonders happened in Egypt with Moses after he started believing. Later the miracle of deliverance from bondage started happening for the Israelites. Uh, and, and some of these miracles, uh, turning the rod into a serpent. God showed his power by having Moses throw that rod down. He did, so it turned into a serpent. God said, pick it up by the tail, and he did. The serpent turned back into a rod. The plagues of blood in Egypt, the plague of frogs, the plague of lice, the plague of flies, the plague of cattle, plague of boils, the plague of hell, the plague of locusts, plague of darkness, and lastly, the plague of the firstborn death that Pharaoh said, finally, take my Take your people and get out of my country. Get out of Egypt. You took my son, now you leave. That is what had to happen in order for Moses to take the people to go. God had to step in and Moses had to say, I'm going to be still and allow you to be God. That's what Moses did. The miracles that have happened from that Exodus 14, 21 through 31, the release of God's chosen people. See, God, or should I say Moses, led the people out with the power of God by a, a cloud by day and fire by night, directing their path, delivering them again. I mean, think about it. You're sitting here, and you see the Red Sea part, and all of a sudden, man, you're going through the Red Sea, and God delivers you, delivers you. So, in turn, when we sit here, number five, 
We talked about everything else. We talked about notice God and what he is doing. Listen to the voice of God and answer the call. Make no excuses on why you can't, but confirm that you can. Number four, we have to believe. Number five, you need to rejoice. Rejoice and understand what God did. And I'll even add a sixth one in there. I'll even add a sixth one in there. Don't forget. Here nowadays, we I think we're having an issue with people forgetting what God has done. I know there have been times where I've sat here and forgot what God has done for me and my family. But if we sit here and we understand that God took us out of something and we could rejoice about it, what can we not let God do then? God, we can allow God to do whatever it is he wants with us. But first, in order to get the holy ground experience, notice God and what he is doing. Listen to the voice of God and answer the call. Make no excuses on why you can't, but confirm that you can. Believe and rejoice in God doing what he did to get you to the point where you're at. Let's go a bit further on this. Now we talked about Moses. We're going to go a little bit up more into the Word of God uh, with this Holy Ground experience. Um, but this Holy Ground experience, now keep this in mind, okay? The Holy Ground experience is not just for us. It's not for us. I mean, yeah, God can use us through the Holy Ground experience, but it's for the world to experience the power of God through us. Let me repeat that. A holy ground experience is not just for us, but for the world to experience the power of God through us. We've got to understand that this is not, not for us to feel good. This is for us to take the power of God out into the people. This is for us to have, be on fire for him. This is for us to, to live a life, live a life by example with the power of God flowing through our bodies. And trust me when I tell you that the power of God can flow through you if you allow him to do it. How you allow him to do it is obedience through God's word, faithfulness, and righteousness. That's how we do it. In our day and age, I believe that God is preparing his people to not be satisfied with being disciples alone only. But I believe his people need to go a step further. And I believe God is setting it up. And people are going to sit here and, and think crazy when I say this. But, you know, I was in a church one day. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Brad Mendehall with World Harvard Church in, in Enid, Oklahoma, um, he said something that caught my attention, and God really said something to me. And the verse that, that he, he spoke on was Acts 2, 42 through 43. And it said, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, keep in mind, the Bible mentions fellowship. Fellowship is something that is needed to have among believers. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who's being taught the word, right? So... All the believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This means that they are learning from the apostles, and they're having fellowship with the apostles. They're sharing in meals, and they're praying. And the second part of this, a deep 
sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. Many miracles, signs, and wonders. So I believe that getting into the Holy Ground experience, you are not just being disciples, but you are actually becoming apostles. Apostles. So we get into the Holy Ground experience. We're going to do this again. Number one, notice God and what he is doing. Number two, listen to the voice of God and answer the call. Number three, make no excuses. Number four, believe. And number five, rejoice. Rejoice. Keep rejoicing. You know, uh, a little while back, God was just stirring my spirit. And sometimes he just gives me a word out of the blue. He just, bam, just hits me. And I believe that this word is going to hit home with someone. I believe it's going to hit home with someone. It may be today, maybe tomorrow, whoever listens to this. But God gave me this Holy Ground Experience message. He instructed me to give the message, how you can get into it. So I just told you how to get into the Holy Ground Experience, how to get the Holy Ground Experience. Now let's go on to give a message about how to live in the Holy Ground experience and what to expect. So as, as I said last just a little while ago, I mentioned I believe that God is not wanting to have just disciples, but he is, he, he is starting to prepare people to become apostles. Now let me ask you a question. This question is very simple, just just answer yourself on this. Would you, would you consider yourself to be a disciple? Would you consider yourself to be an apostle? Well, here's the difference, okay? The difference between disciples and apostles. What is a disciple? Jesus told the disciples just before he ascended to heaven to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. That's Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Now, now keep in mind that this is before Jesus left. They were still disciples. And when he ascended into heaven, you never hear that word, disciple Peter, disciple John. And now it's the apostle and the apostle and the apostle. So what does disciple mean? The Greek word for disciple is mathetio. And it means a student, learner, or pupil. What Jesus was telling his own disciples in Matthew 28 was to go out and make disciples of others. And this discipleship should be self-replicating so that the disciples of Christ will spread throughout the world as those who become disciples will make disciples of others. That is exactly what has happened. The word disciple is similar to the word discipline. Because we must discipline ourselves and not satisfy the flesh, but follow the commands that Christ has given us. And part of Jesus' commands is the great commission to make disciples of all nations. To make disciples of all nations. Now, I'm going to go on a little rabbit trail here for a minute because you got so many people going out into the world that are not trained. You got so many people going out in the world that are not trained in the Word of God, not trained in the Gospel of Christ, and they're going out there preaching their own doctrine. They're skipping the part of discipleship. When you become a Christian and we become saved, you should go 
into the church and learn more. Learn more. Get trained up in the Word. Get trained up in the Gospel of Christ. Get trained up in everything that you need to be trained up in to take that Gospel out. Now, I'm going to sit here and tell you something about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something that people don't know. The only thing that God has instructed us to go out into the world on the streets to preach is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't tell us to preach rapture. He didn't tell us to preach the Bible. He told us to go out and preach the gospel of my son, Jesus Christ. Do you know why Jesus said that? I'm going to tell you exactly why Jesus said that. Because the gospel cannot be lied about. The gospel cannot be misconstrued. There was a death of a savior. There was a resurrection of a savior. And there is salvation from a savior. That cannot be changed. That cannot be manipulated. It has been proven fact that Jesus is real. Jesus is true. And Jesus is the real truth. It's proven. Even science is proving that Jesus existed. There's no question that Jesus existed. The question that people have is, is did he rise again? And that is actually being determined to be accurate by scientists right now with the Shroud of Turin. Because the Shroud of Turin was what, was, what they believe that Jesus was wrapped in. And only a huge ray of light could put that person, that figure in the Shroud of Turin. Ladies and gentlemen, that big, huge light is the light of Jesus that came out of that grave. So people are sitting here going out and preaching rapture, going out and preaching Bible. That is not what Jesus has called us to do. The reason why, let me explain the after effect. You go out, you explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, you let them get into a church, you plug them into a church, let the pastor do his job. The pastor of the church has been trained by schools, been trained by teachings for years to spread the whole Bible. That's the pastor's job. The pastor's job, believe it or not, and this is biblical, is not to go out into the world and do the job that we are called to do as a congregation. Our job as a congregation is to go out, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, bring them into the church, and allow the pastor to do his job and preach the whole word of God. Because the pastors have been discipled. Make no mistake that these people that call themselves pastors and go out into the streets and they're preaching Bible on the streets. Let me rephrase that. People that have not been instructed on how to preach the Bible on the streets. I'll instruct it that way. I used to be a believer of not going to school and preaching the Bible on, on the streets. I used to be a huge believer on that. Now my, my vision has changed on that because God has spoke to me and said, this is why I've only told people to preach the gospel of Christ, because there are going to be people that go out into the world that preach false doctrine and things that ain't according to the Bible, but according to their emotion. If we're going out preaching the gospel of Christ and bringing them into church, we're doing it right. If we're going out into the streets and not attending a church, by the way, we're wrong. So when I, when I sit here and I say discipleship, there's people skipping discipleship, taking the Bible out, preaching the Bible on the streets. That is not what God has called us to do. It is not biblical. Matter of fact, discipleship involves training. Not training from going to somebody's house and having a fellowship with somebody. Training from an institution. You don't have to have paperwork to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But I do recommend that you go to a school 
and learn more. And it, I, right now, I'm doing school right now, and I'm learning so much more. And God's speaking to me so much more than he did. So when I, when I talk about disciples, I'm talking about getting instructed. Let's go out, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stop preaching rapture. Stop preaching Bible. Now, if people ask us questions about the Bible, sure, answer the questions, but you better be right. We better be right in, in giving those answers. If not, it's easy. All we have to do is say, hey, man, look, I don't have the answer for you on this, but I would love for you to come out to church with me, and maybe we can get the answer there. We'll get the answer. Obviously, if somebody's asking questions, they're willing to learn. So either A, you could teach, or B, we could point them in the right direction to go. So be a disciple. Don't skip the discipleship. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Now that we've talked about disciples, and I mentioned that I believe that God is, is wanting disciples to take it a step further, become apostles. The word apostle is from the Greek word apostolos and means a delicate messenger. And one sent forth with orders. Wow, this is awesome. This is amazing to me when I read this. It means one sent forth with orders. Notice the apostles went out and they enforced the word of God. They were ordered to go out and talk to people and tell people. And, and they actually said, you're wrong. But the word apostle means delegate messenger. Much different than disciple. And once sent forth with orders. And that's exactly what Jesus commanded the apostles to do in Acts 1.8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not only does Jesus give them the authority to go out in his name, he also says that they will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they are then to go to the ends of the earth, sent out, to be his witnesses. So now we know what the definitions are. So in turn, a true disciple is a student and a follower, somebody who's learning the word of God and somebody who's, who's learning how to live, being instructed. An apostle is a follower of Christ who has received the power from God through his Holy Spirit. Now, is it possible that, you know, disciples can receive the, the power of God? Yes! See, one thing people get, get, don't, don't understand is, is the Holy Spirit, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit residing in you and there's a difference between the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's two things about the Holy Spirit. Same Spirit, but there's this talk that when you get saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you that you have the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus left, is to send the Spirit back down with us. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you have the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You have the Spirit in you. Just because you have the Spirit doesn't mean you have the evidence of the Spirit in you. Okay? The Spirit is the convictor, the enforcer. He's the one who tells you right and wrong. He's the one who sits here and says, this is what God's Word says, this is what it's not. When you start getting more influence in God's word and the Holy Spirit leading you, then you get to sit here and have the evidence of the Holy Spirit and work on your fruits as well. You know, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. But when you look at the evidence of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophecy, teaching, uh, discernment, you've got so many gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are the evidence. So when somebody tells you that when you get saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit, don't listen to them. It's not biblical. Not at all. 
Just because you don't have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your body doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit when you claim when you sit here and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I just wanted to point that out. You do have the Holy Spirit if you sit here and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And later on, you can ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Essentially, we are all disciples of the body of Christ. But what if God is ready to do something much more amazing through you? What if this is the last push to bring in the lost in a way never before seen using you? How many of you would allow him to use you no matter what the cost is? What if I told you the fire of God through his spirit will consume you? It will consume you and keep burning. This fire will not be for you to keep to yourselves, but to spread throughout the world to show that Almighty God is on the throne. Listen, my brothers and sisters in Christ right now, I'm telling you that this is the Holy Ground experience. After knowing the people that I know and, and looking at Christians and true Christians of the body of Christ, I believe that we want more. I believe that us wanting more and seeking God will have more fire, much more fire. So here's two things that will happen after this fire consumes you. We have to understand this, okay? Never think for one second that what God gives us can't hurt us. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to say that again. Never once think that what God gives us cannot hurt us. I'm going to tell you something right now that if we make the choice, we have a choice for it to hurt us or for, for us to use it. Okay? And this is the reason why I tell you that because there are two things that will happen after this fire consumes you. Number one, you keep it. If you keep it in, you will get burned you will get burned because the Holy Spirit is about outflow. It's not about keeping it in. He's not about keeping it in. The Holy Spirit is not about keeping it in. If you keep him in, you will get burned. But number two, if we make the choice to go all out, God's Spirit will flow out of you and the burn to the world. So you tell me that things that God gives you can't hurt you. Yeah, he's a gracious and merciful God, but we go through hurt all the time because of the choices that we make. This is no different. Either A, you keep it and you get burned, or B, God's spirit will flow out of you and burn to the world. So if you keep it to yourself, you get burned. God's fire is not for you to keep. You have to have an outlet to share what God is doing for you. If we do not share our testimonies of what God has done for us, or even that of his son, selfishness will begin to be instilled in our hearts. If we keep it to ourselves, selfishness will begin to be instilled in our hearts. We have to have that outlet with the testimony that God has done things for us. What does it say in the book of Revelations? It says we overcame the enemy by the power of our testimony and the blood. Number two, God's spirit will flow through you and burn to the world. Let's give an analogy about this. Let's look at volcanoes. When it's beneath the surface, the molten rock is called magma. And it reaches the surface, it erupts as lava, ash, and volcanic rocks. With each eruption, rocks, lava, and ash build up around the volcanic vent. 
The nature of the eruption depends on the viscosity of the magma. You see, volcanoes go dormant because magma from the Earth's mantle can no longer reach the volcano. So when you keep the fire to yourself, the fire stays and burns and burns aside of you, burning your spirit to exhaustion and never comes out. The spirit, your spirit, the Holy Spirit will go dormant in you if you do this. If you keep that fire to yourself, your spirit's going to go dormant. You have to have an outflow. You have to tell people. You have to show people. But when you release, as a volcano does, the fire will burst out and spread like wildfire to everybody around you. Nothing will contain you. Nothing will stop you. Nothing can hinder you. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he that is in the world will spend eternity in the fiery pits of hell. And the saints of God, it is by the hand of the one who gives us the authority to send him there. The one who who in the beginning created the earth, the one who showed himself in the burning bush and the one known as I am, and the one who is sitting in the midst of us right now, the one and only almighty God. Here is what we need to do to stay on fire. The blueprint of life, which is scriptures, the Bible, the word of God. Do not compromise the word of God for your fleshly desires, period. You live according to the word of God, the blueprint of life. You set your life as an example. God's word is so much more than a book. It's the true living word of God. The blueprint to all of our lives is instilled in it. When we intentionally choose not to live by God's word, don't blame God. Do not blame God. It's not God's fault. It's ours. If you want to know, God more and hear his voice. Get into his word. Show him you are interested in him. Show him you're praying, paying attention to him. Rejoice always. When we rejoice, Satan gets confused. When he sends adversaries our way, don't soak it in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray. Give thanks. Do the will of God when he calls you to do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm getting excited for what God is going to do in this, in his church. And the influence that you are going to have on people around you. I'm getting excited about what God is doing through his science, his wonders, his miracles, showing people that almighty God is still on the throne, doing the things that only he can do to show people that he is not left. See, God is being patient. 1 Peter 3, 9, God is being patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. That's why he hasn't returned yet. That's why he hasn't returned yet. He wants that holy ground experience to flow and go through everybody. I'm talking about salvations, healings, miracles, relationships restored, addictions done. It's coming and you are a part of it. God has called you. Here's something that maybe we should all all do or understand. And and maybe there's something that we, you know, God, I I believe God. I'm going to agree with Pastor Robert Morris when he says that God wants to have an appointment with you. And Robert Morris set out four steps. I'm not going to take credit for this. I'm going to, I'm going to say Robert Morris is a very well-respected 
uh, pastor, and I appreciate his teachings. If you have a chance, go 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 to uh, go ahead, type in Robert Morris in YouTube and, and listen to a lot of his stuff. He's got a lot of good good teachings. But I still want you to come back to me and, and kind of listen to what what God is speaking. But listen, four things that Robert Morris pointed out. When you plan your weeks ahead, do something if you're not doing it already. Number one, set an appointment with God. Number two, worship and be still. Number three, pray and read the word. Number four, listen and write. Set an appointment with God. God, I'm going to be here every day at this time. I would like for you to meet me. Put on some worship music. Be still. Just sit there. Vast in the glory. Let the praise of worship. See, when you praise God, you're, when you pray... Okay, let's go back to praying. When you pray, you're bringing, you're going up to the throne room of God. Your voice is going up there. You are there. But when you praise, you're bringing God into your presence. Pray after being still and read the word. After that, sit down for a few. Just meditate on God and listen and write what he tells you to do. God is preparing you for something. He is preparing you for something. So I just want you to understand the Holy Ground experience. That is how to maintain the Holy Ground experience. How to maintain it. So since now we got how to get the Holy Ground experience. And we got how to maintain the Holy Ground experience. Usually when a sermon series comes on us, it's kind of like, why do we need it first? God saved the why for last. And it's amazing. And, and I told y'all how he set this up, this Holy Ground experience message. He set it up in a way that only he can do. Usually it's why first. He left the why for last. And I'll tell you why. Because in this message that he gave me about the Holy Ground experience, he started with the first of the Bible. Exodus. Then he went into Acts, which is the middle of the Bible. And now he's trying to put us to today's age into the future. So the Holy Ground experience is not only past and present, but it's to go into the future. I mentioned disciples and apostles. God has set people up to be apostles because of what is about to come. Now keep in mind, I started this message two years ago. And we're going to sit here and look at this message. And we're going to see if a lot of these signs have already happened. This is the last part of the Holy Ground experience. So thank you for bearing with me. We're going to finish this up. The Holy Ground experience. Why is God giving his people the Holy Ground experience? It's very simple. And this is what God has spoke to me. So we can spiritually see the attacks of the enemy more clearly. As he makes them more invisible and more inaccurate to see. It's a higher level of our spiritual sentence that will allow you to stand stronger than ever in the last days with the power that Jesus Christ has instilled in us. To sense those, as John would put it, antichrists that are amongst us and the ultimate antichrist who is ready to take his place. Two years ago, I said, who is ready to take his place? We're going to go into a little bit more of that a little bit later on. But the ultimate deception from the enemy is on its way. But God has a better plan for his people. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. The last installment of this Holy Ground experience is going to show how close we are to the return of Jesus, and the closer we get, the more Satan is going to fight. The disciples asked Jesus on the Mount Olives. He actually asked, what are the signs to today's age? And it's very amazing to me how Jesus is sitting here and the signs that he speaks, we have seen. So the disciples asked, what is the signs to the last days? Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered, be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you and leading you into error. You have to understand that there's a lot of people that have tried to lead people into error. One really big example of that is David Koresh. And when we sit here and look at these signs, we need to pay very close attention. I did a paper uh, just this week, actually, called The Rapture, How Does It Relate to Signs and the Second Coming of Jesus? And I'm not going to read you the paper, but I am going to sit here and, and tell you a few things. Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the signs that will happen before his return to his disciples. The first signs include deception than those proclaiming to be him and wars and talks of wars. Now, this is in Matthew 24. He then says not to be alarmed because it's not the end, but those signs have to come to pass. Now, you got to understand that when you read this, it seems that Jesus, and this is something that really hit me hard this week, it seems that Jesus is breaking the signs down in phases. In phases to reveal a timeline about his second coming. Not the rapture, but his second coming. He then goes to say that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. See, this is, this is stating this is before the hardest part of tribulation. There is no doubt that these signs are happening in the world today. People have claimed to be Jesus for decades, and there have always been wars or talks of wars throughout history. It is evident that these signs have been shown from the time of the Roman Empire after Jesus' conversation with the disciples and his death and resurrection to today's age with nations around the world. Nations are in fact rising against each other, and earthquakes have hit places like Oklahoma, Texas, and the United States. But it does not take away from the increased amount of earthquakes from around the world. But yet they continue to happen. The next phase of the signs have happened recently and have continued to happen. And we, we have to understand this. And, and we're seeing it in the world today. Love is growing cold in the world and people are very offended at the smallest things in life. Matthew 24, 10 through 14. The result of this behavior has created lawlessness to become uncontrollable, but the gospel of Jesus through evangelism and technology is being preached almost everywhere in the world. Almost everywhere in the world. An example of all these antichrists, The first sign that he's saying, people will, will mislead you. There's a whole bunch of 20. I've done a research on this, and I came up with 29 names at least from the 18th century that have said that they claim to be Jesus Christ. 
But let's look of Jesus speaking of these signs. God first spoke these signs in Genesis 1.14. He said, let, there, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. In recent years, God has shown us a spectacle of signs in the heavens, proving he alone can show his people that he is still in control and still on the throne. In 2014, God started a spectacle of blood moons showing mankind his awesome power. Each blood moon fell on a Jewish holiday and was assigned to the nation of Israel. It is significant because things in the Middle East changed three days after the last blood moon on September 20, 2015. September 28, 2015. War escalated in Syria on September 30, 2015. Russian President Vladimir Putin attacked in Syria. Matter of fact, attacked our allies, the United States allies, just an hour after telling the United States to leave the region. August 21, 2017, North America was in the line of a total solar eclipse that was led by the hand of God. And on August 25, 26, 2017, Hurricane Harvey was in direct path with Corpus Christi, by the way, Corpus Christi means what? The body of Christ. And made a last minute turn towards Houston, Texas. This is very significant because the numbers on the dates of the solar eclipse, which was August 21st, 25 through the 21st, 25th, and 26th, the numbers of dates of the solar eclipse and the hurricane made landfall is the exact numbers in Luke 21. 25 and 26 which says and there will be signs in the sun which was the first thing to happen in north america total solar eclipse so there will be signs in the sun in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations which is happening right now with perplexity the sea and the waves are roaring you could take that two ways you could take that as hurricanes you could take that as a sea of men are roaring which means that men because in the bible the sea is actually people and the word roaring means chaos. So when you're looking at the seas roaring, either way, you could look at hurricanes or you could look at people in chaos and chaos around the world. The sea is roaring and it is roaring so bad that people cannot concentrate and are distracted. And then it says men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Like I said before, Corpus Christi means the body of Christ. It is no mistake. And it's not coincidence that this hurricane changed course. This is definitely not coincidence, but signs from Almighty God to his people. The eclipse and the hurricane lined up perfectly and led up to a sign in heaven that directly coordinated with Revelation 12 on September 23rd, 2017. This is not a coincidence. Not at all. It is clear that God is preparing something huge and Christians need to be prepared for what it is. Can these signs be happening for the reason of the second coming? I don't think that's correct. Though it may be possible and it does help, it is unlikely since the second coming is actually, the second coming is actually announced in the Bible. There are signs to lead to the second coming. Now, we're not going to get into the rapture. We're not going to get into my paper I just wanted to read that part of the signs because I want you to understand that the signs that are happening that Jesus spoke of, they are actually here today. And some of them are already passed. Notice Jesus says to be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you and leading you into your error. Like I said, I found 29 names of people who claim to be Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, there's a guy in Russia that's claiming to be Jesus Christ right now, and he's got 5,000 followers. 
he says the world is going to be destroyed by a flood. That is impossible because God says he wouldn't flood the earth again. And another sign uh, that is happening, that Jesus returned, he says, as in the days of Noah. We can look at the wickedness and the lawlessness, and that's what's happening now in today's age, but there's one key sign that I can see in the days of Noah that leads to today's age that Christ is coming back really soon. And that is God's promise to not destroy the earth in a rainbow being used as pride for the homosexual agenda. That happened in the day of Noah, the rainbow, and God's first promise that he wouldn't flood the earth. And yet you got people priding around with it on flags, using it for a sin in the Bible. Not caring about what God thinks, not caring about what people think, just doing whatever it is that they want to do. As in the days of Noah. But you see, we, we have to look at the signs that Jesus gives. And this is why the Holy Ground experience is very important because there are things that we have to see and God wants to show this to us. How many of us have had an encounter with someone that knows the word of God, preaches it, and lives by it? How many of us have had an encounter with someone that knows the word of God, preached it, and does not live by the word? It is very important that we set the example. That we set the example. Do you believe that someone who knows the word of God better than us can be an antichrist or the antichrist? I'm here to tell you that Satan knows the Bible inside out. Therefore, his deceptions will lead people to be as of antichrist and will lead some to believe they are of Christ because they know the Bible and they have it memorized. Satan has to know the Bible inside and out because he knows exactly where he's about to end up. So his deceptions are going to increase and his deceptions are going to be more invisible and more believed. Next we see Jesus says many will come by name saying I am the Christ. Just remember we, you know, you have the 18th century, 19th century. You got people from the 18th century saying that they are Jesus. They are Jesus. I'm not going to go into any, uh, you know, all the names. Like I mentioned, one name, David Koresh. You know, um, everybody, a lot of people know about the Waco incident with David Koresh. But we have to understand that the signs are there. People have, in fact, told us that they are Jesus Christ. All these people who claim to be Jesus Christ have led many, people, led many people astray through their false teachings. Now, something that has come up recently that God has really spoke to me about, you know, we'll be driving down the road, and <laughs> I, I started seeing these stickers on the back of cars, bumper stickers, and they would read, coexist, and have these different symbols for each religion. And I started thinking about that, and God started kind of speaking to me, and I started researching the coexist. I'm going to tell you that as human beings, we are called to coexist. I mean, we are mankind that God has created. But when it comes to religious aspects, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Now, this is very interesting what I found about this coexist. The C is coexist, 
and coexist is represented by the crescent moon and the star symbol represents Diana, a Greek moon goddess of ancient times, and the worship of the sun, moon, and sky gods. So we could pretty much pop universalism in this. The crescent moon and star on the sticker is often used to represent Islam. However, the same symbols are used thousands of years before even being associated with Islam. The O in coexist is represented by the internationally recognized peace sign. We see people wearing peace signs all the time. And a matter of fact, you got Christians that wear peace signs all the time. But do they really know where it comes from? Do they really know why it's a peace sign? The signal, it's not, it's not a signal of peace. I'm going to tell you right now. The signal actually began as a symbol of satanic benediction during the rituals. This peace sign started as a satanic benediction during the rituals. That's amazing to see, amazing to hear. Throughout the last 2,000 years, this symbol has been designated hatred of Christians. Nero, if you read about uh, the Roman Emperor Nero, who despised Christians, crucified the Apostle Peter on a cross, head downward. The hideous event resembled the Teutonic cross and became a popular pagan insignia of the day. Thereafter, this sign became known as the Neuronic cross. The peace symbol, also called the broken cross, the crow's foot, the witch's foot, the Nero cross, the sign of the broken jaw, and the symbol, are you ready for this? This is why we talked about the Antichrist, the symbol of the Antichrist. It's actually a cross with the arms broken. It signifies the gesture of despair and the death of man. One former witch makes the following comment about the peace symbol. It is an ancient and powerful symbol of Antichrist. During the Dark Ages, it was used in Druid witchcraft and by Satanists of all sorts during the initiation of a new member to their order. They would draw the magic circle and give the initiate a cross. The initiate would then lift the cross and turn it upside down. He would then renounce Christianity in all three dimensions of the time, past, present, and future, and break the horizontal pieces downward, forming the design of the raven's foot. This ugly symbol is nothing short of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. For one to wear or display this symbol is to announce either knowingly or unknowingly that you have rejected Christ. Remember, symbolism is a picture language, and a picture is worth a thousand words. This is coming from a Satanist who knows about this peace symbol. After I read this, I had to get, I, we didn't know either. We got these peace symbols out of our house. It's bad. Peace symbols are probably the number one sign that people are misinterpreting in the world today. From the 70s, to our world today. The peace symbol does not mean peace. Unknowingly, it's an allegiance to Satan against Christ. The E in coexist is represented by combining the male and female symbols showing equality and peace between the male and female sexes. The male symbol is also known as the Mars symbol in a circle with the arrow coming from it pointed in the upper right direction. The female symbol, also known as the Venus symbol, is a circle with the cross below it. The X in coexist represents the Jewish star David and is also known as the shield of David. The star of David is a shape of a hexagram 
which is made up of two equilateral triangles. The I in coexist represents a pagan or Wiccan pinnacle atop the letter I. A pinnacle is a five-pointed star within a circle. This symbol is used to represent one as a pagan or Wiccan. The upward top point of the star represents the spirit. The other four points all represent an element. The four elements are earth, air, fire, and water. So now you're starting to understand the coexist label, that we are all to coexist. But as you read here, most of it has to do with Satanism, Islam. And I'm going to tell you, Satanism is, is rising in the world today. And a lot of this stuff has something to do with it. The essence coexists is represented by a Taos yin-yang, also known as a Taejitu. Yin and yang represents two opposite but compl complementary forces found in nature. Yin is often recognized with the shade darkness and femininity. Yang is often recognized with light and masculinity. The T in coexist represents the Christian cross. The Christian cross is associated with Christianity and the crucifixion of Jesus. When it comes to coexist, let's make one thing perfectly clear, that we, should, we as human beings, we should encourage making their choices as coexisting with each other. But this sticker, this, this sticker that I'm looking at, the sticker that is driving around all over and people are putting on their bumper stickers, is a sticker actually a front for Antichrist material. Notice one last thing. Christ is the last in this acronym. Islam is first. When people sit here and they talk about God and they say Allah is God, I'm going to tell you something. Allah is not God. Allah kills. God delivers. Allah kills. God delivers. God is portrayed to many as God or the same God we serve as Allah. The world accepts this and is blinded to the truth because Allah is not God. He's a false God. I had a conversation with a coworker when I was working where I was working at, and she sat here and tried to argue the fact that Allah is God. Allah is not God. God doesn't kill just to have fun and pleasure. God loves. Allah kills. So let's go back into Matthew 24 and read 6 through 8. And you will hear wars and threats of wars. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. It talks about nation going against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We read this already. But the, the threat of wars and rumor of wars are, are no, uh, no surprise. It's always happened. Right? In Syria alone, al-Assad releasing chemical weapons on his own people with the Russian involvement. America sending in 50-plus atomic hot missiles in Syria. North Korea threatened nuclear war and violence. China's involvement. Russia's allies. Iran wants to destroy Israel and wipe it off a map. His, his troops in Syria on northern Israel's border. Iran has troops in Syria on nor Israel's northern border and Russia's allies with them. Prophecy of Damascus being destroyed is coming to life. It's coming to life. This message, Isaiah 17, 1 through 3, is a message concerning Damascus. Look, the city of Damascus will disappear. It will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. The, tow the towns of Arrow will be deserted. Flocks will graze in the streets. This prophecy is talking about Damascus destruction. 
Damascus destruction. And I firmly believe we're about to see the destruction of Damascus when al-Assad keeps using chemical weapons. Chemical weapons on his people. So it's no surprise about these signs that are happening. There's no surprise about this at all. There's some other signs that have been happening that um, have been coming up that we probably need to to uh, really look at that has been happening. One of those signs is the United Nations voting on an issue with Jerusalem. Donald Trump, President of the United States, has publicly recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital on December 6, 2017. On December 21, 2017, the United Nations voted on the issue and the results were against Jerusalem being the capital of Israel and the results were 128 against and 9-4. Despite this vote, President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu still declared the Jerusalem the capital of Israel and made plans to the United States Embassy for the United States Embassy to move to Jerusalem. On December 27, 2017, this is... This is Really amazing about what is going and how fast it's going. Turkish President Erdogan made his way to the European nations and spoke against Jerusalem in Germany about being the capital of Israel. He then flew to Italy to discuss the issue with the Pope at the Vatican, and they decided to find common ground on the issue in Jerusalem that it does not belong to Israel. Jesus said in Luke 21, 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that the time of its destruction is near. Could it be that Jesus was not only talking physically, physically, but maybe political? Jerusalem is surrounded by armies in a political aspect. And lately, President Trump has been talking about withdrawing his troops out of the Middle East and Syria. If this happens, that region... It is likely that Jerusalem very soon will be physically surrounded by armies. By armies. If that doesn't catch your attention, maybe December 11, 2018, hearing about the Sanhedrin holding a ceremony to dedicate the altar of the third temple. Ladies and gentlemen, God is trying to show us things and we need to open our eyes and have a holy ground experience like no other. Jesus mentions earthquakes. I had a dream one time and I believe this dream is is about to be fulfilled very soon, whether it's Christ's second coming or whether it's God getting our attention. Because if we haven't noticed, it's kind of like the Israelites. The election came up. We were praying, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who call myself by name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, uh, and turn from their wicked ways, I will then hear their voice from heaven, and I will heal their land. That was being prayed all over. But it seems that some Christians have forgot, just like the Israelites forgot back in the day that God's delivered them, that God is delivering us. 
in the United States. And it seems through our government, through through the things that are happening nowadays with President Trump, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to put a finger on President Trump right now. President Trump has been put in office by God. Whether you like it or not. And what the Bible says about President Trump and about our government officials is not to complain about them, but to pray for them. Yes, we do end up getting into conversations complaining about them, but we must pray for our leaders. We see the signs, lawlessness all over. Matter of fact, the Congress just the other day wanted to sit here and put a vote to take God out of the oath when people get swore in just the other day. So the signs are here and God is wanting us to see the signs, but God wants us to have a bitter, un, bigger understanding of what he is doing. A much bigger understanding of what he is doing. And this is the reason why I believe that God has put the Holy Ground Experience message on my heart to share with whoever wants to listen. I will tell you that God has moved in this message. People have seen it. People have been healed after this message or something related to this message. People have been healed. People have sat here and heard this message and it has changed their lives. But we have to understand that, and I'm not trying to get into the, the prophetic aspects of everything, but we have to understand that God has set up signs and he wants us to be more in depth with what he, he has set for us. So that's what this holy uh, ground experience is about. That's what it's about. If we're not in the beginning of tribulation, we're approaching it fast. God has a message for his saints. Wake up. Dry bones come alive and take his breath of life. The fire of God through his spirit will consume you. It will consume you and keep burning. This fire is not for us to keep to ourselves, but to spread throughout the world to show that almighty God is on the throne. The holy ground experience is about dry bones coming to life and literally breathing the breath of God, flowing out his Holy Spirit. Something else that caught my attention before I let y'all go today. is there is going to be a time that God is going to come deliver his people. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. But in Revelation 3.10, this is the hope that we have. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is returning very, very quickly. The Holy Ground experience is to get you geared up to see what is about to happen. The Bible says even the elect will be deceived. Some of the elect. But God doesn't want that. He wants to give us something so powerful, something so awesome from Him so that we can go through with this hand in hand, not alone. Hand in hand with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just disciples, but apostles. But we have to be obedient to God. 
and to his word and faithful and true. And then you'll find out the faithful and true will come for you. So with that said, I hope that this message spreads something in you so, so awesome that the Holy Ground experience or the fire of God will breathe through you every day for the rest of your life until you end up in the Father's arms. And on that day, my friends, on that day, you will hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Remember, Jesus is real. Jesus is true. Jesus is the real truth. And this has been the Holy Ground Experience Sermon. Uh, The Holy Ground Experience message for you. Have a blessed day. Be with God. And never forget, keep your head up and your redemption is near. He is the great I am.